0: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Welcome Dale Earnhardt episode Jr. Episode. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. Here yeah. we are, yeah. Friday, yes. yeah. right. December 17th, 2021. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. So much to get into, so much to discuss. We will lead with what is unfortunately. The biggest topic in sports right now, it is COVID wreaking havoc, cancellations, not just in the NFL, NBA, but also now in college where Kentucky, Ohio State was canceled this weekend, Seton Hall, Iona, both on the basketball side. I'm going to tell you why. Look, it's just time. We have to stop canceling games because of COVID. I think I'll make a pretty strong argument for that. From there, we'll talk a little National Signing Day. How about Jackson State, Deion Sanders, number one player in America? We'll discuss that. We will talk about the craziness at Kentucky with their high-profile five-star player that couldn't decide for a whole day. A little a and a lot of signing day. We will wrap with Urban Meyer. Obviously, this is mostly a college show, but Urban Meyer, a college legend, we'll talk about him. And then we'll get to a really fun guest. So Jeff Colhane is the play-by-play radio voice of the North Dakota State Bison, okay? Uh, North Dakota State is basically the Alabama of college football. And with the only college football this week and a couple bowl games and the FCS playoffs, I thought it'd be fun to bring on Jeff. Obviously, we talked a little bit about Dion Jackson State. Really fun interview. He hosts a podcast under the Aaron Torres media umbrella called FCS Fever. I think you're going to listen to him. You're going to hear his passion for FCS football. And I think you're going to learn a lot as we get ready for this weekend. Jeff Colhane at the end of the show. Maybe preview college basketball. We'll see how much time is left on the docket. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And unfortunately, the topic of the day, it's a little bit serious. It's not very fun. It is COVID continuing to wreak havoc on the sports that we all know and love. Just as I get set to record here on a Thursday night, biggest story in sports, I believe, bigger than the college football playoff, bigger than the NFL playoff push, bigger than Urban Meyer being fired. It is what is going on in COVID. As I get set to record here, Browns and Raiders supposed to play Saturday night. Remember, Saturday games in the NFL after college football season ends. Uh, That game's very much in jeopardy and may get postponed. On top of that, NBA games postponed left and right over the last few weeks. NHL games, it's much the same. College sports now seems to be impacted more and more as we get closer and closer to the middle of winter. Just since I uh, last recorded, Seton Hall-Iona, big game, Saturday, Madison Square Garden, world's most famous arena, out. Kentucky-Ohio State, Ohio State test positive, can't travel, not playing. What does that mean? Thousands of fans that spent thousands of dollars, especially Ohio State fans, are not going to get to go to the game that they paid for. And so I could beat around the bush and I could do that. Let me just get to the point and we'll work our way backwards. The point of this segment, the point of this topic is that at the end of the day, I, I've reached my breaking point. I've tried to be patient. I've tried to be quiet. I've tried to be calm. But my job is to talk to you man to man, man to woman, whatever, and just be 100% honest with you on how I feel about the biggest stories in sports at all times. And right now, I'm just going to say it. We are, it is officially time. We need to stop canceling sporting events because players test positive. End of story, end of debate, end of whatever. We can discuss over the next four or five minutes, but I'm just telling you that's where I stand and let's work our way backwards. Before we get into kind of the specifics of the last couple days, specifics of why we need to stop canceling sporting events, let me even backtrack and just let everybody know 30,000 foot view where I stand on a couple things, just so you know, and if you disagree, you want to turn it off, you want to throw your phone in the garbage, say, I hate Torres, I don't like this guy, whatever. Whatever. That's fine, but at least we know where I stand. One, first of all, let me start by saying, I I don't enjoy talking what I would deem a political topic. Sports are supposed to be fun. I got into this because they're fun. And you guys have enough seriousness, guys and girls, in your lives that you don't need to come here to hear me yell and rant and scream about really important things, right? Um, But I don't, and and so let me even backtrack. If you feel like, you know what, I just don't want to hear this, Torres, not today, not right now, I get it. Fast forward 5-10 minutes, we'll talk National Signing Day, we'll talk Urban Meyer, we'll have a little bit of fun, but I don't believe that this is a political topic. This is a sports topic now, as games are getting canceled left and right. And what I would also say on top of that is, I think you guys kind of know where I stand on this topic on COVID in sports and where I've stood from the beginning. Many of you found this podcast because of where I stood on COVID a year ago, a year and a half ago, when there was real talk that we were going to cancel college football, and it was canceled in the Big Ten and Pac-12 for a while there, and when there was real talk that uh, games shouldn't be played, NFL, college, NBA, whatever, and I said, look, I don't have all the answers, but I believe that we can find a way, I believe that we should find a way, and it's important to note that even at that time, and this is important, okay, because I think a lot of you think, oh, Torres, you don't care about the health and no, but I said at that time, I said, look, I know it's not going to be easy, and I don't have all the answers, I'm not saying just send them out there, no problems, no testing, no nothing, that's not what I was saying even back then, I was saying, I understand there's going to be positive tests. I understand that we're going to have to cancel games. I understand that games are going to be postponed. I understand that you're going to be scheduled to play somebody and then have to play somebody else on one day's notice or five days notice or three days notice or whatever. I get all that. I get that players are going to have to live in isolation. And the ones that didn't want to last year were allowed to opt out. But I said, we need to find a way. We needed to move on. We needed to press forward. We needed sports and, sport, and the, the athletes themselves needed sports. And we got them. And so I'm really happy about that. But even back then, I claimed that I didn't have the answers. But I did believe that I understood why games, even back then, I understood why games were going to get canceled, why games were going to get postponed, whatever. The problem is a lot has changed since then. We have a lot of new information. We have vaccines. And so that is why I am at the point where I'm at today. And I remember the time that my opinion on all this shifted, okay, where it went from cautious but move forward, cautious but we're going to have to cancel games, cautious but this, to where I am now, which is, we just got to play, stop testing, stop this, stop that. And I know exactly when it was, and it was actually a while ago, I don't even think I talked about it on this podcast, but do you remember in the middle of, I want to say it was about early to mid-June, we get to the NBA playoffs, they're great. I criticize the NBA a lot, they put on a darn good product in the postseason. and we get to the Western Conference Finals, it's sometime in early to mid-June, and Chris Paul tests positive for COVID, and has to miss game one and game two of the NBA playoffs or the Western Conference Finals. And immediately, everybody went into, well, he must not be vaccinated. Well, that, well, that. And then we found out he's vaccinated. And even at that time, I said, so why is he sitting out if he's vaccinated? I thought the vaccine was supposed to allow us to get back to normal. Why is he being punished for doing what's right? Because ultimately, if he's vaccinated, he's protected. Anybody else that's, that is vaccinated is protected. So really, the only people that are, quote unquote, unprotected are players that haven't gotten the vaccine that know the risks. Even back in June, we kind of knew. We kind of knew, like, if you want the vaccine, you can get it. And if you don't get it, that's on you. You are moving forward in life, making your own decision. And so even back in June, I said, we got to play these games. We got to keep going. We can't keep canceling sporting events. We have to move forward in our lives. Heck, I went to Cancun. I traveled in the middle of the summer during what some people weren't comfortable. To. The point is, even back in June and July, I was like, we gotta play games. We gotta play games. And now here we are six months after that and we're still canceling games and it makes no sense. And it makes no sense for, in my opinion, four different reasons. One, most of the players are vaccinated, Right. Again, why do we get vaccines? To protect ourselves, to make sure that we're safe, to make sure that we're safe from viruses. Well, we remember the campaign by major college sports, by the NFL, by the NBA for players to get vaccinated. Some, Aaron Rodgers, Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, whoever, have decided not to. That's their personal choice. I have no fundamental objection about it, okay? But at the same time, most of the players are, vaccine, are vaccinated. So why are we canceling games when the the guys that are testing positive are for the most part vaccinated the whole point of getting vaccinated is so you can move on with your life if you come into contact with the virus we now have indisputable data that if you're vaccinated and you come into contact with the virus you're probably going to be okay you're probably going to have mild symptoms and let's be honest if these athletes weren't getting tested as often as they were most of them would never even know they had the vaccine had the virus so that's one all these guys are vaccinated. why are we canceling games when the vast 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 majority of these guys are vaccinated two it's like i just said a minute ago Anyone who's not vaccinated understands the risks. We have to stop protecting the unvaccinated when they don't feel the need to protect themselves or they feel that they're protected because of natural immunity or because they just don't think they need the vaccine. So if ultimately we're canceling these games to for health and safety, well, the people that are vaccinated are healthy and safe because we know that, because we know the vaccine limits the seriousness of the virus. And then two, the unvaccinated feel safe too. So why are we canceling games to protect the small, small, small minority that refuses to get the vaccine or has no interest in the vaccine when they know the risks, they understand the consequences, and they're willing to play? Three, and I've said this since last April, May, June, I said, I don't have all the answers, but the one thing I know is this, and this was before the vaccine too, I said, these athletes have access to the best medical professionals in the world, so I can say even before the vaccine, I don't believe or I have not heard of a single professional or college athlete uh, having serious, serious, serious health effects, serious, serious hospitalization or death. Thank goodness, I'm happy I'm not doing a victory lap. But I, even before the vaccine, I remember saying this. I said, guys, these guys and girls have access to the best medical professionals in the world. UCLA had to cancel their game on Wednesday night. If God forbid things got so bad at UCLA that guys were and girls were seriously getting sick, guess what? The UCLA Medical Center is literally on campus. I was on the UCLA campus three weeks ago for the UCLA Villanova game. That's one of the best hospitals in the world. These athletes have the best treatment in the world. Same with Duke Medical Center, Johns Hopkins Medical Center. Some of the best hospitals on planet Earth are on these college campuses. And so most of the players are vaccinated. The ones that aren't vaccinated understand the risks. And they have access to the best medical professionals in the world. Finally, let me just just wrap on this. While most of these guys are vaccinated, we also understand at this point now, it's indisputable that the vaccine does not protect people across the board from catching the virus. What it does is it protects you from getting very, very, very sick, okay? So why is that important to me at this particular time? It is because we now have the data that we need to move forward. We've moved forward in every other walk of life people have gotten vaccinated some have gotten their boosters it's their choice it's whatever some are unvaccinated but they know the risk and they understand kind of the cost benefit analysis of everything when they go out into the real world they know what they they now feel safe enough to go eat at restaurants trust me i go to restaurants all the time they're packed they know what they go to the nail salon they do this they go to games as fans and so when i look at this entire situation what i believe is most important to realize in terms of why we need to keep playing these games is because we now know that the vaccine is not going to stop the virus. We now know, and I hate to be yelling and screaming and ranting, we now know that we have to learn how to live with this virus. This virus is not going away because of a vaccine or a booster shot or whatever. And so I bring it up just to say that at this point, at some point, we are going to have to decide as a sporting community, whether it's the NCAA, whether it's the NFL, whether it's the NBA, whether it's the NHL. At some point, we are going to have to accept that We are not going to eradicate this virus. And so we can't keep guys out to catch the virus. We can't postpone games. And like, like if if we keep going, when when does it end? In 2027? Like 2028, 2029, 2024, 2023? Like, when do we decide that, you know what? We have enough data to know that we're never going to eradicate this virus. So we just need to keep playing games and work through it. I believe the time is now. The vaccine has been out for a year. We have gone through basically two cold and flu cycles late in February last year into March and April, all the way into now November, December of 2021. We now know that this vaccine is not going to eliminate the virus. And so at some point, we are going to have to allow our athletes to play games while testing positive for this virus. As a matter of fact, that's my solution. A lot of you say, well, yeah, well, yeah, it probably doesn't make sense. What do we do? I got an idea. How about we just don't test guys that are vaccinated? You don't test guys that are asymptomatic. This is this is the part that makes no sense to me. If you're vaccinated and you're not showing symptoms, why are you getting tested? And to me, it's no different than the flu. And I'm not going to get into the debate of the flu versus COVID versus this versus that. But I think we all know at this point that COVID, um, especially in young, healthy athletes that are playing in these sports, it is not going to you know adversely affect them in the way. And so to me, it just comes down to exactly what I just said a minute ago. I don't think we need to test these guys anymore, especially if they're asymptomatic, especially if they're vaccinated. If they show symptoms, we treat it like the flu. We test them. If they're sick, we get them away from their teammates. And ultimately, that's no different than how we treat any other virus. We don't test every day for the flu. We don't test every week for the flu. We don't test every month for the flu. We don't test every week for the flu when everybody on the team has a flu shot. But the flu still affects college basketball teams, NBA teams, college football teams, whatever. I think I've told this story before, but I remember talking three, four, five years ago. I talked to a buddy of mine, college basketball assistant coach, at what I would deem to be a high mid-major. In other words, it's not Duke, Kentucky, UCLA, Kansas, uh, but it's not Central Connecticut, Eastern Kentucky, Eastern Washington either. It was kind of in that middle tier, Atlantic 10, Mountain West, you know, AAC, Missouri Valley level of college basketball where they got a good, but they don't got it Duke good. They got it good, but they don't got it North Carolina good. And I remember talking to him, and he said, Dude Torres, you know what our number one issue this time of year? It's not grades, it's not academics, it's not parents, it's not injuries, it's not wear and tear. It's the flu. We can't travel charter. We can't put these guys in their individual hotel rooms. We travel in commercial planes, and we got them in two to a room or four to a room or whatever it is on the road. And so when we go on the road, Every single time we're susceptible, and so to me, ultimately, COVID is now at the point where it's no different than the flu. We have the data, we have the information, we have the understanding. I'm not saying that it can't be serious for certain people, certain segments of the population, but we are now officially at the point. We can't keep canceling everything. At some point, we have to move forward, and I, I you know, we talk about courage now. Oh, it's courageous to do this. It's courageous to do that. Well, it's going to be courageous to be the first professional sports team that just says, we're not testing anymore. We're done. We're over it. I don't know if it'll be Major League Baseball. I don't know if it'll be the NFL. I don't know if it'll be the NBA. Maybe it'll be the UFC. Dana White seems to be not afraid of this thing. Got COVID, had his little commentary on COVID last week. I don't know. But you want to be courageous. Be the first one to say, you know what? We're not testing anymore. We understand the risks. If guys feel symptomatic, we will give them a test. If they test positive, we will get them away from everybody else. But we have healthy, vaccinated young men and women playing our sports. On top of that, we have taught them the risks of... What this virus is like versus not. And it's time to move on. So that's my 14 minute COVID rant to lead the show. I know I went in a lot of different directions, but it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. And I I just, it's time to move on. It's time to move on. It's time to play games. It's time to stop canceling sporting events because of COVID. Speaking of moving on, that's what I wanna do. I wanna take a quick break. I wanna talk actual fun sports stuff. Deion Sanders, how about that guy? Number one recruit in the country. How about that first story? Talk a little bit about that, some other National Signing Day takeaways, and I will talk a little Urban Meyer. Uh, Not a ton, but this is a college sports show. Urban Meyer is one of the two most prominent college football coaches of the last probably 25 years since the turn of the century. We'll talk a little bit about Urban Meyer after the break. All right, everybody, I'm back. Good to be back, good to be back. I want to get to Signing Day in a minute, our boy Deion Sanders, and of course I want to get to Urban Meyer in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook who once again have an incredible offer for listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Incredible offer for first-time users, just for you guys and girls. Here, here's how it works. You guys love football. You love pro football. A lot of games being played play this weekend. Tampa Bay, New Orleans. Green Bay, Baltimore. Dallas is going to New York. I could go on and on forever, baby. It's like Home Alone. I could go on and on forever, baby. But a lot of great games. Here is the deal that DraftKings Sportsbook has for first-time users. If you bet $1 on one game and the team scores one point, you win $100 in free bets. That's right. You like Green Bay. You like Aaron Rodgers. He's got a great name. Aaron, great name. Green Bay's at Baltimore. You bet $1 on Green Bay. If they score one single point, you get $100 in free bets thanks to the DraftKings Sportsbook and DraftKings and their partners. Here's how you take advantage of the opportunity. One, click on the link in this show description. You listen on Apple, you listen on Spotify, you listen on Amazon Music, whatever. There will be a link in the show description. When you download it, there will be a link. Go ahead, click the link, and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. From there, make a $1 bet on any team, Green Bay, Tampa, Tampa. Dallas, Washington, whoever, whoever's your favorite team, and if that team scores one point, you get $100 in free bets thanks to DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best deal going. First-time users, listeners of the Aaron Sports Podcast, it's just for you. DraftKings Sportsbook, link in the bio, $1, one point, you win $100 in free bets. Best deal going. You can't get it better anywhere else. Click the link in the show description. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, one 800 426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling prom Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming. 1-800-9 within Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona or call or text Tennessee Redline 1-800- 889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or over to enter. 18 plus or over in Wyoming. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit. Minimum one dollar wager eligibility restrictions apply see draftkings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions all right everybody i'm back gonna be back gonna be back and i do want to switch gears and i do want to get to some actual sports stuff right because first segment a little tough little tough, I get a little mad, get a little angry. But sports are ultimately supposed to be fun. Uh, It's why you got into sports as a fan. It's why I do this show. It's why I think you guys listen to this show, because while I can be serious, I try not to take myself too seriously. But sports are supposed to be fun. And I'll say this, in the spectrum of fun sports stuff, I don't know that there's anything more fun than National Signing Day. It has all the zaniness of all the best parts of sports, some of the worst parts, but most of the best sports. Got kids Committing. Decommitting, recommitting, ripping off their shirt and having another shirt underneath, throwing hats to the side. Is he going to go here? Is he going to go there? Why did he choose there over there? All the best parts of sports. But what I'll say is while National Signing Day is always crazy, we have never really seen what we saw on Wednesday when Travis Hunter, the number one high school player in America, was committed to Florida State, decides, you know what? No Florida State for me. I'm not going to Florida State. I'm decommitting. But where does he commit to? Not Bama, didn't leave Florida State for Georgia, nor Tennessee, Auburn, Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, USC, whatever. No, 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 Travis Hunter, the number one high school player in the country, decommits from Florida State to go to, drumroll please, he is going to Jackson State, to play for Deion Sanders in one of the incredible plot twists ever, not just because he decommitted from Florida State, but because he is going to an FCS school led by, coached by one of the most prominent Florida State alums in the history of the football program, a guy that very publicly wanted that Florida State job, didn't get it, he steals their number one recruit. We'll get to the Florida State aspect of it in a minute, but let's talk about Jackson State, let's talk about Travis Hunter. There are so many interesting layers to this story. First of all, credit Deion Sanders, man, and, and, and I'll take it credit beyond just what happened on Wednesday. And I'll tell you this, Uh, Deion Sanders is a heck of a football coach, okay? Um, You know, Barstool Sports did a documentary on his first season at Jackson State. If you remember, he was hired in the fall of 2020. FCS schools did not play in the fall. They did not play until the spring. Barstool did a documentary on his first season at Jackson State. And I'll, I'll be honest, I watched it about five or six weeks ago. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. It's available on YouTube, or at least that's where I watched it. And I found it to be really entertaining. But more than anything, what I learned is Deion Sanders is a real football coach. He's not doing this for pizzazz. He's not doing it for, for, for celebrity. He's not doing it for, for cachet. He's doing it because he loves football. He loves coaching. He loves impacting young kids. And you can see in that documentary that he is really good at it. And the numbers now back it up because after that first season during a COVID year, they played a normal season this fall. And you know what happened? Jackson State went 11-1 this season. Their only loss was to the only FBS team on their schedule, which means that against similar teams with similar schedules, similar scholarship restrictions, he went 11-0. He's a real coach. The fact that he didn't get more serious run at any FBS Power 5 jobs blows my mind. We'll talk about that in a minute because I suspect that if he wants to get to the FBS level and the Power 5 level, he is going to do so very soon. Secondly, I'd say, really cool story for this kid. Listen, I'm all for kids doing whatever they want. I really, it doesn't matter to me. If you want to play college football on the moon, play college football on the moon. You want to commit to uh, the state school. You want to commit to a school across the country. You want to commit to the local school. You want to commit to a group of five when you could go to a power five. Do whatever you want. And as soon as I saw this, I think the natural inclination, oh, he must've gotten a bunch of money. And we're gonna talk about that in a minute. But I didn't see it that way. I saw Deion Sanders, really good coach, really good recruiter really good sales pitch and oh by the way this kid is a cornerback why not go learn from the best cornerback in the history of the sport so you have dion now coming off an 11 in one year you have a unique situation you have a kid that can be kind of a historical recruit obviously the first super marquee recruit that i can ever remember going not only to the fcs level but to a historically black uh college university and hbcu that's really cool But it's not about going to an HBCU, it's about going to an HBCU to play for somebody that is going to prepare you, in my opinion, as well for the NFL as as Nick Saban or Kirby Smart can. The competition isn't the same, the food training facilities aren't the same, we'll talk about all that in a minute, but you can, I I don't even think you can argue, Deion Sanders is as good as anybody to teach you about the cornerback position. Now, the NIL stuff I find very interesting, we're just going to touch on that really quickly. I, I actually think at this point it's become a little bit overblown. Because when I saw the commitment, my first reaction was, uh, uh, you know, this is awesome. I can see why this kid would want to play for Dion, get some headlines, get some publicity, but then, of course, play for the greatest cornerback of all time. And immediately, I saw so many of you, well, he only did it for NIL money. He only did it for this. He only did it for that. I saw Pete Thamel from Yahoo tweet, the belief around college sports is that there was a major NIL deal attached to this. And then, of course, you see a tweet that nobody really confirms or denies that Barstool Sports, who employs Deion Sanders, may put may have put up a ton of money for Travis Hunter to go to Jackson State. What I would say is since then, um, since then, Deion Sanders has denied that there was any kind of special NIL favors. I could be wrong on this. I don't believe that it's some crazy dollar amount, $10 million to $5 million, whatever, $3 million, $10 million, $12 $15, whatever. I just believe that, yes, there's probably some NIL promises on the side, but I think this was about making history, doing something different, and playing for Deion Sanders. I will tell you, as somebody who has followed college sports for 30-plus years, I can definitively say, every time a kid does something unpredictable in recruiting, the assumption and the conversation always is, well, it must be about money. It's always it's obviously about money. Well, that kid only chose that school because of money. Somebody's paying him. Somebody's doing this. Somebody's doing that. I'm not gonna deny that Travis Hunter probably has some sweetheart deal. I'm not gonna deny that he's gonna be making some money off the field. I'm not denying that he's gonna not not gonna have to scrape pennies together from between the couch cushions to to to, to pay the bills. But at the same time, I've been hearing for thirty years that a kid took cash and it's not always why. And I think the 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 ideas kind of add up. To the fact that Travis Hunter, this was probably as much of a football decision, a branding decision, as it was strictly a dollars and cents decision in terms of NIL. What I would also say is I want to talk about this now in the bigger picture, because when I saw this, I saw a very familiar refrain that just made me slap my head when I saw it. And it was the idea that, oh, Travis Hunter has changed everything forever. Because I hear this every every time somebody does something different, unique, doesn't pick Bama, Georgia, doesn't pick Kentucky or Duke in college basketball. Oh, they've changed the game. They have set the standard and everybody is going to follow and the game has changed forever. And let me just tell you, I don't really think all that much has changed. I think this is a one-off deal. I think it was pretty cool. I think the idea that Deion Sanders, if he stays at the FCS level at Jackson State, could continue to recruit good players, I think that's possible. But do I think in three years there's a dream team at Jackson State and every player, at the F- every player is choosing to go to Jackson State, an FCS, an HBCU, over Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State? I just don't see it. I don't see it at all. And let me explain why. First of all, kids choose colleges for all different sorts of decisions. So could I see the scenario where Jackson State's in the top five, where Jackson State gets a three-star, or four-star, a kid that could go to the SEC? Yeah, I could see that. They were actually doing that before. They got a few kids in the last class that could have gone to uh, Power Five and SEC type schools. None of them were the number one player in the country. None of them did it on National Signing Day, so it didn't make headlines. So I'm not saying this can't happen going forward. But first of all, kids choose colleges for all different reasons, and Jackson State is going to be a good decision for some, and it's going to be a bad decision for others, just like everybody else. Uh, Not everybody that has a scholarship offer from Alabama goes to Alabama. Not everybody that has a scholarship offer from Ohio State goes to Ohio State. It's going to be no different at Jackson State. Uh, you know, kids choose colleges because of the coaching staff, kids choose colleges because of the location, kids choose colleges because it's the best pathway to the NFL, because of the facilities, because of the girls, because of the education, there's a million different reasons, and so Jackson State is not going to be the perfect school for everybody, even if Deion Sanders stays, and even if he puts the full-court press on all of these kids at the top of the recruiting rankings. Beyond that, I have just been doing this for way too long, and I have seen way too many circumstances in which I was told, whoa! The game has changed forever. The game has changed forever. I'm old enough to remember when Brandon Jennings, in 2008, I believe it was, decided to skip college. This was right after the one-and-done rule was implemented, and he went over to Europe. Oh, the game has changed. All these players are going to go to Europe. I don't remember a single guy. Maybe Jeremy Tyler was one. Went to Europe. Most of them just went to college for a year. The ones that were good enough left to go pro. They didn't all go to Europe. There wasn't a one-way train to Europe with all the best high school basketball players. didn't happen. A couple years later, Emmanuel Moutier, supposed to go to SMU, academic proms, goes to China, signs a deal with Under Armour to get paid in an endorsement deal. Oh, all these kids are going to go to China and they're going to get this endorsement. Nobody's been back to China since. Nobody's been back to China since. Oh, R.J. Hampton. Well, R.J. I mean, R.J. Hampton. R.J. Hampton. R.J. Hampton. And remember, if you remember R.J. Hampton, the interesting thing was part of the argument of R.J. Hampton was the barstool angle as well. My understanding is uh, one of the guys at Barstool, Barstool Big Cat, I think, is uh, owner of an NBL team, or he has partial ownership, or he has some kind of relationship with the NBL. Oh, Barstool's going to promote R.J. Hampton, and he's going to be the greatest thing ever, and he's going to get so much more promotion than anybody playing college basketball. Uh, yeah, that did not happen. Uh, pretty sure that uh, Duke and uh, Kansas and, and Kentucky got way more pub than RJ Hampton. Of course, since then, we had Jalen Green. And the oh, the G League's going to change everything. The G League's about to fold in two years because nobody's going there. Everybody's going to college. Um, and oh, by the way, McCourmaker committed to a Oh, come on, McCourmaker. Where's McCurmaker right now? Nobody has heard from him. Nobody's talked about him. So when I look at the Travis Hunter deal, I think it's going to be much the same. It's a really cool headline. He's the number one story in sports right now. And then everyone's going back to their regular lives. Again, I remember when R.J. Hampton committed to Australia. The next day he was on every Barstool show. The next day he was on with Colin Cowherd. The next day he was on First Take. And then the the world moved on. And you know what happened when basketball season started? We focused on the NBA, and we focused on major college basketball. And nobody talked about R.J. Hampton. And that's what I think is going to happen with Travis Hunter. It's a great story. I wish him well. I don't really care where he plays. I think it's cool. But at the end of the day, next season starts, Jackson State, is going to open their season, probably the same day that Alabama opens the season, probably the same day that Georgia opens the season, probably the same day that USC and Clemson and Notre Dame open the season, and we're going to be watching Notre Dame and Clemson and USC and Alabama and Georgia and Texas A&M. It's not going to change anything. It's not going to change anything. We're not going to rearrange our viewing habits. We're not going to tune into Jackson State games. If Jackson State games are even on TV, we might tune in for a play. We might tune in for a series. We might tune in for a couple downs. We're not putting Jackson State on in prime time over Alabama versus Texas A&M. It's just not going to happen. And what I would also say is, like, like I, I, I hear all this. It's only positive. No, This is incredible. I will say this is a calculated risk. And again. I don't really care what the kid does. Do what you think is best with your life. If you believe Deion Sanders, Coach Prime is the best coach for you, then that's fine. Go for it. Shoot your shot. Whatever. But I would also say there's real risk, and I've talked about this. I talked about it when McCour Maker committed. There's a reason that kids don't go to low major schools. There's a reason, and it's many reasons, and it's and and it's that you really are putting your career at risk. You can argue me. You can debate me. You can discuss it. It is the truth, though. I've been to all of these colleges. I have been. I know what. Uh, football player lives like at Alabama, USC, Georgia, Oklahoma, Notre Dame. It's a lot different than the lowest of low power five and or the lowest of low group of five, excuse me, let alone an FCS school, let alone a school playing a level below power five, let alone what's going on in Alabama, Georgia. And I talked about this when Maker committed. You're getting a different level of nutrition. I talked about it the other day with Zion Williamson, right? Oh, Zion. Well, wait till he gets into a college weight or an NBA weight training program. And I said, wait a second now. Duke has a better weight training program than half the NBA. I'm positive of it. They have better coaches. They have better machinery. They have better everything. The nutrition's better. The travel's better. The meals are better. On top of that, you're playing against better competition every day. And pr- there are so many things at the low 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 levels of college football college basketball that the average fan doesn't realize I think I told this story before I'll tell it again I had a buddy who coached at an HBCU in basketball okay not knocking HBCUs not saying if your son wants to go there go there I don't really care doesn't matter to me but at the same time he told me this story he goes dude first of all this is basketball now. this isn't even football this is basketball in the middle of the summer they could not bring back their full team for summer school because they could not afford to house all 13 players. So they had five or six come in one semester, five or, five or six come in for another summer semester, and they never had their full team together until school started in the fall. On top of that, he told me this. It was probably an NCA violation, but he goes, dude, I got peanut butter and jelly and bread in my office because if I don't have that in my office, my guys won't eat. We don't have a training table. We don't eat, uh, you know, uh, steak and lobster after after games like some of these schools do. And trust me, trust me. Duke was in Vegas for for Thanksgiving. They played Gonzaga the day after Thanksgiving. I know what Duke's spread was like. I talked to the parents on the team. I talked to some of the players. On the, like I know, like like Duke, their players live good, and that's not a knock on Duke. It's no different in, in Kentucky, North Carolina, Ohio State football, Michigan football, Alabama football. And so these are real risks that you have to consider. And you are putting yourself at a disadvantage going forward. Now, the good thing is you got three years, plenty of time to develop. And if you're good enough, the NFL will find you, okay? I'm not going to pretend like, oh, he threw his career. That's not what this is about. I'm just saying there is calculated risks. And you know what I find really interesting? And you know what I think the most likely outcome of this is? We hear all this, oh, it's changed the game forever. You know what I think is probably going to happen, if I'm being perfectly honest? I think every athletic director, their ears perked up yesterday, and they realized, we got to go hire Deion Sanders. If he can get the number one player in America at Jackson State, imagine what he could do in the SEC. Imagine what he could do in the ACC. Imagine what he could do in the Big 12. And so, first of all, I thought he should have been under consideration for some jobs this cycle. I thought he should have been hired by TCU. The way that he recruited even before this cycle, 11-1 this year at Jackson State. He's from Dallas. He lives in Dallas. He coached high school in Dallas. I thought TCU should have hired him. But now... What I think is probably going to happen is this incredible story that changed everything. I think Deion Sanders is probably going to get a Power 5 job next year. Maybe Florida State, which we'll talk about in a minute. And I think Travis uh, Hunter is either going to transfer with him or transfer to another Power 5. That's how I think this is going to end. So I think it's a really cool story. I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's awesome. But let's not act like it has changed everything forever. I've just seen this too many times. Now, if Deion Sanders stays for 20 years and he gets four or five of these guys next year and then 10, 12 the following year, and then who knows? We'll deal with that in four or five years, okay? R.J. Hampton was going to change the game. He didn't. Jalen Green was going to change the game. He didn't. Uh, Brandon Jennings, Emmanuel Moutier, McCour Maker. I'll believe it when I see it. A couple other notes from signing day. Let me first say this. I think, you know, everybody talked about the Jackson State element of this. I think the much more interesting side is the Florida State side. Because I've been doing this long enough, right, Where where... And I, I said this, I remember when Dan Mullen, when things started to go bad for Dan Mullen, I said, you know, you guys as college football fans, you tipped me off about two, three weeks ago, you said, don't be so sold on Dan Mullen, I don't know if it's going to work out for him. And I said, nah, he's good, he's Dan Mullen, he's awesome, he won 10 games. And sure enough, you guys were right. I think at Florida State, under Mike Norvell, I truly believe that decision by Travis Hunter is a situation that he might never recover from. And I truly believe that. It sounds crazy, one kid, whatever. Why? Let's talk about it. First of all, he's not like he's he's setting the world on fire to begin with, okay? Last year was a COVID year. We get it. It was weird. There's weird stuff happening, all that good stuff, blah, 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 Well, at the same time, he also went, what did he go, that first year at Florida State? He went three and six. This year he improved to five and seven, but it's not like he's setting the world on fire. You lose this kid and you're coming off 10 and two in year two, that's a lot different than coming off five and seven. But it's how he lost him and the circumstances that he lost him, which to me, I'm just like, I don't know if he's gonna recover from this. First of all, number one high school player in America, okay? And it goes back to what I have said so much during the last two, three months as it pertains to recruiting and as it pertains to all that good stuff. You can have bad stuff happen as long as there's positive momentum. The reason Dan Mullen got fired, I've said it a million times, the reason Dan Mullen got fired is because not only did his team stink on the field, there was no momentum in recruiting, and there was nothing that he could sell going forward into the offseason. And so you bring Dan Mullen back, it's just nine months of toxicity, if that's even a word, of just your fans questioning him, your fans saying he's not good enough, your fans saying he can't get the job done, all that, okay? On top of that, there's the opposite perspective. There's Jimbo Fisher. Jim Fisher came off an 8-4 and four year making nine million million a year. And there were a lot of people frustrated. But we kind of knew he might sign the number one class in the country. And so we're going to give him a pass for this 8-4 and four year where he lost to LSU on the final day of the season. And I think it's a lot of the same with Mike Norvell. You can forgive a 5-7 and seven season when you have a really good class coming in, headlined by the number one player in the country. But when you then lose the number one player in the country, you know what a lot of fans are sitting there saying? So this dude is not winning on the field. But now he can't close on the recruiter trail? What do we have this guy for? Get this bum out of here. And you saw the reaction. You saw the Mike Norvell Twitter spaces or whatever they call it now, where Mike Norvell, fire Mike Norvell, fire Mike Norvell. Like, that was a real thing. And I don't think it was one or two people. There were thousands of people in that thing throughout most of the day. And some of it was like a, a car wreck. You couldn't not pay attention to it. But part of it was that fan base is pissed off. You're losing on the field. Now you just lost your best player in the recruiting class. Where is the momentum, Mike Norvell? And I know they finished with a top 15 class. That's not good enough when you lose the number one player in the country. And then on top of that, you lost the number one player in the country to an FCS school coached by your most prominent alum. And this is where I'm just drawing the line in the sand. You can have a lot of things happen to you as a college football coach. You can lose games. You can lose recruits. You can make a bad decision on fourth down. You can be Kirby smart and not know how to manage your quarterbacks. There are certain things you can't do, though. You cannot, coming off two losing seasons at a school like Florida State, have the number one kid in the country committed to you for a year and a half, have him decommit on signing day, go to an FCS school, an FCS school coached by your most prominent alum. It's one thing if he decommits and he goes to Bama. It's one thing if he decommits and goes to Georgia. To go to an FCS school coached by your most prominent alum? Not good. Not good, not good, not good. And what I'll tell you is this. I think Mike Norvell, I, I truly believe this, and I know he just got a contract extension and Florida State doesn't have a ton of money. First of all, the money thing is moot, okay? We learned this year, if a school wants you out, you're going to be out. We learned it in football with our old buddy, uh, Dan Mullen. We learned it with our old buddy, Manny Diaz. Oh, Miami doesn't have the kind of money. They can't just give a coach $10 million. They can't pay a coach $8 million to go away and $8 million to come in. Well, Miami did it, so Florida State can't do it. Florida State's going to find the money. And now, imagine if Deion Sanders wins with this kid. I'm telling you, I, I I don't know that I'm ready to say that I think it's more likely that Deion Sanders is the head coach of Florida State starting the 2023 season, so not next year, but the following one. I wouldn't put it like it's more likely Deion Sanders is there instead of Mike Norvell. I don't think it's inconceivable, though. Deion Sanders, I'm telling you right now, is going to be the hottest name in the coaching market this time next year. Florida State's going to feel pressure. We can't let another school get him. We can't let another school bring him in. He just stole our top recruit. The alums are going to want it. The fans are going to want it. The boosters are going to want it. All I'm saying is, Mike Norvell, my man, I don't know you, never met you, sure you're a nice guy. If I was you, I'd go 9-3 next year. I'd beat Miami. I'd beat Florida. I'd compete with Clemson. I'd try to win that ACC Coastal, if I could, or ACC Atlantic, whatever it is that you play playing. You can't be losing to Louisville like you did this year. You can't be losing to Wake Forest like you did this year. You can't be getting smoked by Clemson like you did this year. I'm just telling you, I think that is the most fascinating element of this whole thing, and it would not shock me if Mike Norvell was not the head coach of Florida State. I don't, I don't know if he recovers from this. I really don't. Really quickly, um, I just want to hit on a couple other National Signing Day topics. First one. Keontae Goodwin's story was like fascinating to watch from thirty thousand feet. I know many of you are Kentucky fans. This was the kid. He started his day at some big press conference for all these national signings in Texas. He's from Louisville, played high school football in Indiana. Big kid, by the way, six foot eight, three hundred twenty pounds. He looks like a grown man, or he is a grown man already. Well, he goes to the podium in Texas and says, "I'm not ready to commit," and he says, "I'll commit later today, three thirty. I'll be ready to go." Then 3.30 comes, no, I'm not ready to commit, 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock comes, he pushes it off, pushes it off, finally commits to Kentucky, and I don't know what, you Kentucky fans, you guys know, probably about 5 30 Eastern time, after he was supposed to commit at 8 a.m., he's been committed for a year, been recruited since 8th grade, Surreal story. I have no hot take. And oh, by the way, he didn't actually sign his national letter of intent until Thursday morning. Mark Stoops is doing a press conference where he can't talk about him and he keeps checking his phone to see if it's official. Um, All I would say is, look, I I hope the kid made the right decision. You know, Um, uh, it was clear that he was torn. If I was advising him, I would say sleep on it. Take your time. We don't have to make a final decision this second. But he didn't. He chose Kentucky. He then slept on it and signed and uh, just surreal theater. My final last little thought from National Signing Day, it, you know, it was Texas A&M. And, and I have no big amazing takeaway on Texas a and M. I I thought it was one really cool uh, that Texas A&M is now, right now, the leader in the clubhouse of National Signing Day. And oh, by the way, they aren't done yet. There are still two or three super high-profile players that have not signed that could sign with Texas A&M. But I'll tell you, as somebody who doesn't follow this stuff 365 days a year, I told you on Wednesday's show I don't claim to be a recruiting guru, it was pretty surreal to watch. Like every 10 minutes I looked up, Texas A&M was getting another commit. Like Like every 10 minutes they finished the day overall with 26 total kids committed. I would guess probably about eight or nine committed on the day. One of them was Jake Johnson, the son of Brad Johnson, the brother of Max Johnson, the starting quarterback at LSU. Uh, he's the number one tight end in the country. I would expect Max Johnson to ultimately end up at AM as well. But, I mean, you just go down the list, it is absolutely incredible. As you look at some of the kids that they got committed, Walter Nolan, number one player in the country from Tennessee. Uh, Evan Stewart, by the way, signed on thursday did not sign on thursday but the number one wide receiver in the country uh from texas you had the kid gabriel brownlow dindy committed to oklahoma they flipped him connor wegman their quarterback anai white from philadelphia anthony lucas from phoenix just incredible And what i would say is jimbo fisher What I believe is, is that this was a master class in how to take advantage of a good season, okay? Because everyone knows the most important season in recruiting is the year after you're really, really, really good. Uh, Last year, Texas A&M had, by all accounts, a historical season. They went nine and one, went to the Orange Bowl, won the Orange Bowl, and credit to Jimbo Fisher and his staff, hit the ground running, hit every corner of the country. In this era of modern football, it's not just enough to lock down your home state. You gotta go national. Um, you know, it's what Clemson has done. It's what Ohio State has certainly done. Garrett Wilson, their best court, uh, wide receivers from Texas. CJ Stroud's from California. Chris Alave's from California. This is what you have to do to win at the highest level. And Texas A&M did it. I'm looking right now. I'm trying to do this off the top of my head. We have, what, eight? I'm doing this quickly off the top of my head. I'm counting 11 top 100 players. That can't be right. Maybe 10. Two, four. 6, 8, 10, I, this can't be right, top 100 players, the point I'm trying to make, it is it is unbelievable how much talent Texas a and brought in, hey, now it's on Jimbo Fisher, Jimbo, you want a recruiting national championship, you got the guys, not all of them are going to pan out, it's not all going to happen next year, but man, oh man, did Texas AM and bring in a lot of talent on Friday, Thursday, Wednesday, all right, last little topic before we get to my buddy Jeff Colhane. He is the FCS football expert. I think you're gonna really enjoy the interview. We do talk a lot about Dion, what we just talked about. We talk a lot about the FCS playoffs, the difference between FCS it's a really good interview. We'll get into it in a minute. But I do want to wrap on one last topic. And the topic is one that it's kind of one of those crossover topics, right? And and I think you guys have been listening to this show long enough, guys and girls, to know that this is not like like this is not a professional sports show, right? If you want breakdown of the Saints-Rams game on a Monday, this is not the place to come. But every so often, I do think there's a topic that kind of traverses, kind of overlaps with the college and professional space. And I do think the last year or so of Urban Meyer's career is one of them. When Urban Meyer was, when Texas was very secretly behind the scenes courting Urban Meyer, that was a topic on this show. When Urban Meyer took this job at with the Jacksonville Jaguars, it was a topic on the show. When Urban Meyer brought in Tim Tebow, it was a topic on the show. And when Urban Meyer got fired late Wednesday night into Thursday morning, this is very much a topic on the Eratora Sports Podcast, and so this is surreal. This is one of the craziest stories I've ever seen. It's wild, because I did a bunch of National Signing Day stuff on Wednesday, was really busy throughout the day, and I'm not saying that I'm any more or less busy than you guys and girls. I know how hard all of you work. I'm not claiming that I have the, the toughest job in the world, but after a long day Wednesday, I went to bed early, did not see until I woke up Thursday morning that Urban Meyer had officially been fired from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and so it is now official. Urban Meyer is done after 13 games as an NFL head coach, 2-11 and overall, and so much to get into, so much to break down, and let's talk about it. And when I think about Urban Meyer's tenure at the NFL, in the NFL, with the Jacksonville Jaguars, there really only is one word that comes to mind. It's not good, it's not bad, it's not this, it's not that. It is frustrating. I really believe when we look back on Urban Meyer's time in Jacksonville, time in the NFL, I think we can legitimately say that it was legitimately frustrating from both sides. And it was legitimately frustrating for people from the outside who either wanted. I think it was just frustrating for people who are guys and girls like you and me who just love college football and wanted to see if Urban Meyer would succeed, right? This is one of the single greatest college football coaches in the history of our sport. A guy that I would argue is the second most prominent college football coach of the turn of the century behind only Nick Saban. And I think we all just kind of wanted to see Could it work? If you give him two, three, four years, could he turn around an NFL franchise? Was this guy a good enough coach to take the worst NFL franchise into first place, into playoff contention, whatever, the way that he did with the Florida Gators and he did with the Ohio State Buckeyes? And so when I say it was disappointing, I I say it from both perspectives. I say it not only from Urban Meyer's perspective, but from the Jacksonville Jaguars as well. Starting with Urban Meyer, this was disappointing because this is a guy that very clearly had been living in a college sports bubble forever and could not get out of his own way, right? Like, 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 I don't necessarily think the Jacksonville Jaguars, quote unquote, had to fire him, but I kind of understand why they did. Because this guy, it was one negative headline after the other, after the other, but most of them were self-inflicted and most of them were basically based on one simple fact. Urban Meyer is a pathological liar that cannot get out of his own way. First of all, you go back to when he was hired. Do you remember when he hired Chris Doyle, the former strength and conditioning coach from Iowa, got fired because he made some inappropriate comments, blah, 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 this and that. Now, I'm a person that believes if you're not in jail, you deserve a chance to work and make a living. Urban Meyer did himself no favors, though, because he hired this guy who got fired at Iowa, and then he had the audacity to say, well, you know, I worked with him at Utah, great guy, stand-up guy, believe in what he's about. Well, guess what? Quick Google search makes you realize that, wait a second now, he left Utah in 1998, you got to Utah in the early 2000s, you guys never even came close to overlapping at Utah. And so that was strike one for Urban Then there was all sorts of other stuff. We get into the season, all off season. Is it going to work? Is it not? Training camp, this, that, the Tebow stuff. And I had no fundamental objection with bringing in Tebow. Give him a shot. He's a tight end. He just wants to earn a spot on the roster. You cut him as you should have. I had no problem with Tebow stuff. But then you get into training camp, and we all know what happened about week two, week three of the season. You go up to Cincinnati. You lose a game. And you get caught dirty dancing of Vanna with a woman that wasn't your wife. And if you listen to this show, you guys know where I stood on that topic. I don't care that a grown married man in his 50s who is now a grandfather, I should mention, was dancing with a younger woman. I really don't care. It's not a fireable offense. It's never been a fireable offense. Media members can fake outrage. It was never a fireable offense. But two things happened. One. He lost the game, and he stayed behind, okay? So that's one. That is, in pro pro sports circles, a no-no. You don't stay with your family. You don't stay with your grandkids. You got all off-season for that stuff. You spend the time with the team. You're coming off a tough loss. You fly back with the team. That's how it works. That's how it operates. That's how it goes down in the NFL. But then on top of that, he had the audacity after everything, after getting caught on camera, after everything that came out, to say, oh, you know, I was there to see my grandkids, and." I got pulled out to the dance floor by a bunch of people. Well, everyone knows that in 2021, there's no such thing as uh, whatever. In 2021, everyone's got a cell phone. And in 2021, if you're lying and you're a prominent figure, I would argue Urban Meyer is one of probably the five most prominent figures every time he steps foot in the state of Ohio. If you lie, it's going to get caught on camera. When Urban Meyer shows up at any bar, even his own, it's going to be headline news, and people are going to take out their phones, and people are going to want a picture, and people are going to take videos, especially if one of the most prominent people in Ohio is Dirty Dancing Havana at nights with somebody that's not his wife. So you have strike one with Chris Doyle. You have strike two with Dancing with the Woman. And I don't care about Dancing with the Woman, but don't lie about it. Then you have all this other stuff that's come up since then. A few weeks ago, you have James Robinson. He gets benched in the middle of the game. Urban Myers has always hurt. Then it's very clear that he's not hurt. Trevor Lawrence says he's not hurt. A bunch of players say he's not hurt. Whatever. You have a situation apparently with Marvin Jones where they try to fight in the locker room. Marvin Jones tries to knock him out. You have the situation with the coaches where he's calling the coaches all sorts of names. I don't really care about that. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but it's another thing on the negative side of Urban Meyer. And then you have the story where he allegedly kicked a player, a former kicker on the team, and... I don't necessarily, I, I still don't think they should have fired Urban Meyer. I'm still curious, selfishly, to see if Urban Meyer could have turned things around. But I also understand where you're at as the Jacksonville Jaguars owner, that remember, first of all, he's a very wealthy man, but he's a guy that probably has never been in the headlines for this, for it, like this. And every two or three weeks, he's got to put out a new statement on Urban Meyer. And so I'm disappointed in Urban Meyer, not because he failed, not because I believe he should have been fired, but I'm disappointed because so much of this was self-inflicted. Just get on the plane instead of staying in Cincinnati. Just if you're going to hire Chris Doyle, hire him in a consulting role. You don't need to put him on the official payroll where it goes on a press release. There's ways to do stuff. Come on now. There's ways to do stuff, Urban Meyer. And on top of that, don't say that this guy's hurt and this guy. It's so easy to look up. It's not that hard. They're going to ask the players in the locker room. You're not in Columbus anymore. You can't just say whatever you feel like saying and nobody's going to question it. This is 2021, you're in the NFL. You gotta be better than this, Urban Meyer. And so I blame Urban Meyer in many ways. And I'm just disappointed because I think 90% of his problems were self-inflicted. The team stunk, but he didn't get fired because the team stunk. He got fired because every two weeks, the owner had to put out a new press release saying that you know we're reevaluating and we're gonna give him a chance. Like at some point, the owner, a rich guy, is just tired of putting out statements. What I would also say though, I am a little bit disappointed in the team, too, and I'm just going to say something, and this is going to be controversial, and I started with COVID, and I'll end with something controversial as well. I don't know if I'm right on this. I don't know if I'm wrong on this. I just talk about what I observe from a distance. Urban Meyer is one of those guys. I I believe now in the modern media. You know, I'm in the media. I went to school for media. I truly believe, report the facts, tell the truth, look at both sides of every story, Unfortunately, that is not how most of the media operates. I'm not saying it's wrong. Well, I am saying it's wrong. It is wrong. But I bring it up because it does feel like now the media makes up its mind on certain people and it decides they don't like this person. They don't want to see them succeed. Every I don't care what we have to do. We got to get them out of here. We got to, for lack of a better term, we got to cancel them, right? And we saw with John Gruden a few months ago. I said it when it happened with John Gruden. I said, wait a second now. Let's, let's just do some mental math in our head with John Gruden. So a story comes out about an email that he sent in 2011 on Friday. He's accused of talking saying this about Tamora Smith. Nothing happens. He doesn't get fired. He coaches the game the next day. And then on Monday a separate report comes out from a separate outlet. Somebody wanted John Gruden out. I don't know who it was. Maybe they'll get to the bottom of it. I hope John Gruden sues the crap out of the NFL. Not cuz he's going to get his job back, not cuz he's going to get his reputation back, but because it's clear somebody wanted him out. You don't put out a report on Friday, wait to see what happens, nothing happens, they put out another report on Monday, and oh by the way, 650,000 emails, and only John Gruden's get out, somebody wanted John Gruden out, I kind of feel the same way with Brian Kelly, just think about how Brian Kelly is being covered right now, as opposed to Lincoln Riley, as opposed to Mario Cristobal, what Link, what, what Brian Kelly did at Notre Dame is no different than what Lincoln Riley did at Oklahoma and no different than Mario Cristobal did what at Miami but don't you get the sense that a lot of people want to see Brian Kelly fail I don't know if it's the the Declan Sullivan stuff from a million years ago I don't know if they don't like him I don't know if he's not funny I don't know if it was the comment that he made about uh you know uh, you know execution I want to see all my players execute like I don't know what it is it seems very clear to me though that people do not want to see Brian Kelly succeed and I feel the same way with Urban Meyer and so that's why I'm disappointed, because I'm disappointed because so much of this was self-inflicted by Urban Meyer. Don't lie about injuries. Don't lie about hires. Don't lie about what you're doing on a Friday night with a girl that's not your wife. But at the same time, doesn't it feel like people want to see him succeed? You hear all these stories. Oh, we don't like the way that he treated a certain player. Well, guess what? I like like or, Okay, let's take it a step further. There was a report that he called his coaches a bunch of losers. Well, they are a bunch of losers compared to him. He's won three national championships. He's had success at the highest level. If they were that good, they'd be a head coach. If they were that good, they'd be a head coach in college. If they were that good, they'd be somewhere other than Jacksonville. And so, like, I'm sorry. I don't feel bad for a 40-year-old man getting paid $800,000 a year to coach football that their coach called him a loser, okay? And I don't feel bad. You keep seeing these reports coming out out of the locker room. That, oh, you know, he he said mean things to the players. Yeah, these guys probably are losers. They've been in the league for four, five, six years. They haven't won jack squat. The kicker, I don't know. But would he have said it if he got cut? I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's not true. But is it, isn't it it weird that it's always the bad players? It's always the guys that got cut. It's always the guys that have nothing to lose and everything to gain that say stuff like this. And so why I'm disappointed, not only from Urban Myers' perspective, because this was self-inflicted, I'm also disappointed in the Jacksonville Jaguars firing them. I wish that Shad Khan, the owner, had just said, look, things have not gone to plan. I'm not making any more comments on this coaching staff. We have an X number of years contract, so say a five-year contract, a six-year contract, and Urban Meyer is our head coach for next year. We'll evaluate what needs to be fixed in the offseason, but he's our head coach. Because to me, it felt like no matter what Urban Meyer did, he could be, I, he wouldn't be 11-2 instead of 2-11. But he could be 7-6, and six, and there's still clearly people that don't want him to succeed. And so the media is going to keep digging for stories in a way that they don't dig for stories for other people. The players are going to keep complaining in a way that they don't complain about other coaches. Yeah, maybe Urban Meyer was harder on you, but guess what? It's because you guys stink. You're 2-11 and 13, two and 11 in 13 games, and he's trying to change the culture. And so I'm disappointed in Urban Meyer because I feel like he could have solved 80% of this by just telling the truth. Every time you got a mic, I don't care what you do behind the scenes. I don't care if you call a coach that's making $800,000 a year a loser. I really don't care. Suck it up, buttercup. I really don't care if you get called a loser. But what I do care about, when you're the head coach, you gotta come to the podium, when a mic's in front of you, when you know the media is recording, you gotta tell the truth. You can't say, oh, I knew Chris Doyle forever when a simple Google search would have proven that that's not true. You can't go to the podium and say... Yeah, you know, I got dragged out to the dance floor. It wasn't really that big of a deal. Well, we got video of you freaking Dirty Dancing Havana Knights. What are you doing? And then from there, don't lie about injuries. Don't lie. Just just go to the podium and say, these guys aren't good enough. I'm not going to apologize for that. And so it's, I'm just like, I'm done with Urban Meyer, man. Like, we'll talk about Urban Meyer as time goes on. But I will say really quick before we get to Jeff Colhane, um, I do wonder if this is it for Urban Meyer, right? Because... Clearly, look, the NFL thing didn't work. I still think if you give him two or three years, if he's willing to commit to two or three years, I still think he could have turned it around. I think he had to get tougher players that were willing to put in the work. I just think, look, Jacksonville's been bad for 25 years. That's not an Urban Meyer problem. That's a franchise problem. But I bring it up because I do think it could have worked, but now I do wonder. It didn't work in Jacksonville, and I do wonder if if they're if it's realistic to wonder if it's the end of Urban Meyer's career. Because Urban Meyer now is in his late 50s. And I talked about it earlier in the year when the USC job opened up. and Everyone said, like, oh, there's no way nobody would hire him. Well, he's 57 years old. He'll be 58 in July. Nick Saban's 70. So in theory, Urban Meyer still has one good rebuild inside of him. But at the same time, I do wonder I've been told by multiple people he doesn't want to coach college anymore, right? Like, like he was the control-free college coach. What happens in the NIL era? What happens in, in the transfer portal era? What happens in the one-time transfer portal, one-time transfer era, where guys can just bounce after a year or two? I don't think he wants to coach anymore in the college level. And so I think the NFL was an interesting experiment. I still think it could have worked, but it's clear he's not going to get another NFL opportunity. And so I do wonder if at 57 years old, if this is it for Urban Meyer as a head coach. And I don't know what that means going forward. I don't know if he does TV. He wasn't very good on TV. He didn't seem to have very much interest in TV. He wanted to get back to coaching. I don't know if that means somewhere he goes to high school or middle school or Pop Warner or whatever. Um, But I do wonder if this is it because it's clear the NFL thing didn't work. I'm not sure how much interest there is from college from the perspective that I still think the right AD would hire him but this was a cycle that you'd kind of knock down the doors, and LSU didn't seem to have much interest. Oklahoma didn't seem to have much interest. You can go on and on down the list. Now, maybe Texas, maybe somewhere else. USC didn't seem to have much interest. You can go on and on down the list. Maybe somebody after a year or two has some interest. But I'm just very curious to see what his future holds because I don't think he's coaching in the NFL. I know he's not coaching in the NFL anymore, and I do wonder if there are college jobs that are no longer interested in him. I know Brett McMurphy did the report oh, you know, 78% of 80s or whatever said they would not be interested. I don't know if I believe that, but I bring it up to say that I do wonder if this is it for Urban Meyer. All right, I think that's it for this episode or this segment of the Eratora Sports Podcast. I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna bring in my buddy Jeff Colhane, okay? So Jeff Colhane, great, great, great voice. So he is the play-by-play voice of North Dakota State football. North Dakota State is very much the Alabama of fcs college football and the reason i'm bringing jeff cohane on and when i say they're they're the alabama they've won eight of the last 10 national championships one of the national championships that they did not win was last year when they had trey lance and he played one game and then he bounced for the nfl because they played a spring season so they basically were the best team in college football not in the last 10 years so there's two reasons i'm bringing them up. On. one fcs semifinals are this weekend montana state is playing south dakota state North Dakota State is playing against James Madison Two EOSA podcast on the Aaron Torres podcast media feed, a great FCS podcast, FCS fever. If you get a chance to listen to it, I highly encourage it. Uh, And he's just really knowledgeable. And I figured it'd be something different. I figured many of you will be watching the FCS playoffs and there is no better person to talk FCS playoffs than Jeff Colhane. Don't think I'm going to do any segment after Jeff. So this is going to be it for me. This is it for today's show for me. I want to say thank you one for listening and subscribing to the Aaron Taurus Sports Podcast. If you're not subscribed, make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Google Music, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. I would also say, by the way, if you want to leave a rating and review, that'd be great because this week I pissed off Texas Tech fans so much about the Quinn Ewers thing. I have a bunch of negative reviews on on, on my Apple page, okay? Uh, a couple of them have showed up over the last couple of days, and it's all Texas Tech fans that got mad. I had some of them like, well, I'm going to leave a negative. So go ahead, give me five stars, leave a nice review. I listen to Torres three times a week. That way it offsets all the bad uh, the bad reviews. So if you can go on to the Apple page, five-star review, leave a quick comment, whatever. That'd be great. Uh, but that's it. That's it. Apple, Spotify, Google Music, Amazon Music, whatever. Rate, review. listen. Uh, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get to Jeff Colhane. Again, Jeff Colhane, he is the play-by-play voice of North Dakota State football. He is the host of the FCS Fever podcast on the Aaron Torres media feed. Make sure if you search Google FCS Fever, you will listen to it. You'll get a full preview of this weekend's games. But that is all for today's show. So I want to say one thing. Shout-out to Torrent Craig. Shout-out to Rachel who hates my voice. Let's get to Jeff Colhane. He is the North Dakota State play-by-play voice, and he is also the host of FCS Fever Podcast. All right, joining me via Zoom, as promised, um, FCS playoff semifinals of this weekend. This dude is, no lie, literally as plugged in as anybody in FCS football. Thought it'd be fun, thought it'd be different. A couple bowl games, but the FCS playoffs, a lot of people are tuning in. So here's the deal. He is the North Dakota State play-by-play voice. Oh, I don't know, just eight times national champions in the last 10 or 11 years. He hosts the, the Insiders on Bison 1660 up in North Dakota. And maybe most importantly, as far as this is concerned, the host of the FCS Fever podcast, which of course is part of AT Media, Torres Media, Aaron Torres Media, You've been on Aaron Torres online, and you see the podcast. This is the man that hosts it, Jeff Colhane. What's going on, man? How you doing?
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure, my friend. Good to uh, do this and and connect with you here late in the season. It's obviously an exciting time with the uh, the semifinal round coming up here this weekend, and four quarters to Frisco for four teams that are left here and uh, ready to to make something happen. Obviously, a lot of exciting stuff going on on signing day on Wednesday. Coach Prime, Deion Sanders making waves to the world of college football. So uh, there's a lot to discuss. Let's get to it, man. So let's get to it. And, you know, I say this
0: all the time, but but sometimes the podcasting gods, you know, we had discussed doing this for a while. And then out of nowhere, Dion, number one player in America, Travis Hunter commits. Uh, there's a lot to peel back, but but just at the surface, um, you know, this is a program that you've probably followed a little bit more closely than most over the last couple of years since Coach Prime Dion took over. You know, I, I, I said it to lead the show. I watched that full, almost the full barstool documentary. I thought he was—he was—he wasn't there for PR. He like he's a real coach. He he's engaged. He gets recruiting. He gets this. He gets that. Uh, but to still see him flip that number one player in America, Travis Hunter. What was the reaction, not only from you, but from people in the FCS community, where where obviously Jackson State is a part of your world, and they just made not only history, but national headlines?
1: Well, look, I'm not surprised that Deion Sanders uh, does something like this. He is a a tremendous businessman, tremendous salesman, obviously. uh, And I've not had the fortune to meet uh, Coach Prime in person, but Watching him uh, play the game, watching him as an analyst, watching him as a media member, and now seeing what he's doing at Jackson State, th- this, this guy knows what he's doing, folks. I mean, he has got things rolling at an HBCU in Jackson State that is a proud program, history, tradition. They're about to play in the Celebration Bowl this weekend in Atlanta, which is a big deal uh, for, for so many reasons. It's a big deal financially with ESPN being involved there. And so uh, Deion Sanders has done uh, an amazing job here. They played in the spring. His son Shadur came in in the fall, and it was a great week in the Sanders household, uh, not only because of, of Travis Webster, but because uh, Dion was named the Eddie Robinson Award winner as the coach of the year in the FCS. Shadur was named the freshman player of the year in the FCS as the Jerry Rice Award winner, and then you have this happen with uh, the news of Travis Webster flipping from Florida State to Jackson State, uh, the, the answer is shock. Uh, not shocked that Dion can do something like this, but just the fact that the number one rated player in America made the decision to leave a, and I know Florida State has been on down times here as of late, but it's still Florida State to leave a blue blood in college football with a lot of tradition and history and to go to Jackson state, which does not participate in the FCS playoffs from a national perspective. uh, Again, they are a great program, but they don't get talked about a ton because like the Ivy leagues, they don't participate in, in the tournament at the end of the year. And so um, they're not a part of the national championship discussion at the FCS level either, but Certainly you see something like that. And name, image, and likeness is obviously involved as uh, a big part of this. It's a brand new world we're we're getting ourselves into here, Aaron, that we all have to wrap our heads around and understand how it's going to factor in now and down the road because it, it's a part of the process, like it or not, from here on out.
0: So kind of two follow-up questions. Um one, you know, and, and I talked about this a little bit, but you know, the NIL stuff is a little confusing. Dion says it, it didn't play a role. I know he has to say that. But I also think, like Jeff, we, we've both been following recruiting for years, and I said this to lead the show. Every time that a, a school misses on a kid or something weird happens, the immediate reaction from everybody that was recruiting a guest, oh, well, he must have gotten paid, right? So so assuming that Dion just doesn't have bags of cash that nobody else does, because let's be honest, at the end of the day, if it came down to strictly dollars and cents, I'm sure that Florida state could have matched it. I'm sure that any school could have matched it. Maybe, maybe not all above board, but it could have been matched if that's really what it came down to. So the two parts to it are, do you believe that, that as the the months go on a couple uncommitted kids still in this 2022 class or beyond that he can continue to attract not these, not the number one player in the country, but really, really, really talented players. But then two, I would also ask, do you think he eventually just, you know, do you think at some point he's just at the FBS level because, you know, somebody's going to, if he keeps recruiting like this, somebody is going to offer him that, uh, you know, uh, that six, seven, eight million a year that everybody seems to be getting now to coach at the FBS level?
1: Power I forward. think the first, yeah, I think the first part about this is just fascinating. Uh, I mean, uh, how is this all going to come together? Look, guys have been getting, some form of compensation for years, right? I mean, you know, college hoops better than anyone. I mean, this has gone on for, for decades and we just, it's been, a you know, against the rules to this point in time, but people have found ways to do it. Now it's all above the table for the most part. And so uh, how this uh, begins to factor in to decision-making and communication from one school to the next about how they're going to best utilize this, you know, this name, image, and likeness thing, it is truly, it's a wild, wild West feel right now. There are really few regulations to it overall. And so, and I don't know if anybody wants to regulate it, Aaron. I don't know if there wants to, if if there's one person in here around the country that says, hey, I want to be the person that says that young man can't make that amount of money, right? After uh, everyone has fought for this, for so many years because of the amount of money these departments have made uh, with college athletics. Right. And so the name image, and like this thing, I think is absolutely fascinating. Uh, I thought of the, you know, the pony excess ESPN 30 for 30. I mean, you don't think Eric Dickerson and Craig James and those guys uh, got paid by, you know, oil tycoons in North Texas and the Metroplex back in the eighties. I mean, it's been going on forever. So, you know, again, it, there was the the rumor out there that, you know, Deion Sanders obviously employed with Barstool Sports and that Barstool uh, somewhat came involved financially. That was later then deemed to be not uh, the case, but great publicity for Barstool for getting involved in that again, as Dave Portnoy has been able to find his way into the mix of these conversations. And that's all marketing, good or bad, no matter it is, it's, it's Barstool for, uh, on the map for them. So um, the, the NIL thinks fascinating. And then as far as attracting more talent in the future for Deion Sanders as a coach, I certainly think he's capable of doing this with other guys. I mean, you know, Shador, obviously his son, that's a different connect there with family and father and son, right? But Shador is one of the top rated quarterbacks coming out of high school Juco. I mean, he, he was, uh, is a tremendous talent overall. And so Kids now are talking about how to improve their brand and how do we uh, get the bag and make more money and make more opportunities and endorsements and this, that, and the other. It's starting at a much younger age now with how the rules and how the world of college football recruiting and and college recruiting in general works. And so, yeah, I think Dion certainly has the capability to to sell what uh, opportunities he can bring to the table and I would not be shocked. How how could you not be a Power Five program and look at what's happened here over the last few days, and even what Dion has done on the field yes. as a coach in the last year? Again, they are 11 and one, playing and essentially there in the HBCU national championship game in the Celebration Bowl uh, on Saturday. So they better, you know, ADs better take notice because uh, Coach Prime has it cooking right now.
0: No, and I, I think there's no doubt and that's something I've talked a lot about is like there's a recruiting element to this, but there's also the he went 11 and one in his first full season. And like I said, um, anybody who watched that Barstool documentary on him and his first team knows like dude is a real coach like, like he, yeah. he disciplines everything. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the actual playoff itself. As you said, Jackson State is not in the playoff just because of the way that they kind of do their season or whatever. Um, So, first of all, I mentioned it, you are the play-by-play voice for North Dakota State. Um, That allows you to see the best programs in the country on a week-in and week-out basis and the best program on a week-in, week-out basis. Um, For people who, uh, you know, I I think most people that that don't follow it day-to-day kind of know, okay, North Dakota State's the gold standard. What's it like to be on the inside of what is equivalent to Alabama football, Yukon women's basketball I mean this is the best program at this level for a very long time uh, and I'm just curious uh, you know your experiences there and 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 all that kind of stuff
1: you know Aaron I've been lucky enough to be at a couple of power five stops in my career so far at Nebraska where they obviously had a, a great wealth of success back in the 1990s and they're still trying to recapture that now you know years later under Scott Frost and also, able to be at a place like West Virginia, where much like Nebraska, much like North Dakota state, no pro sports in the state, the, the big show in town is West Virginia university athletics. And so um, the, the following the, the culture and the passion of those fans, there's a lot of similarities here uh, with, with NDSU, with North Dakota state and, you know, eight national championships in 10 seasons and an opportunity this weekend to head back to Frisco, Texas to win a ninth national championship in the last 11 years. Uh, I mean, the culture here, it, you, you hear that term a lot from coaches and, and players, and it can be sort of that cliche you know, terminology, but it, it truly is. Um, it, the, the players coach themselves, the players hold themselves accountable because of how the teachings and the, you know, this is how we do things. The the centerpiece of what this football program is all about has been passed on from uh, team to team, seniors to freshmen, on and on and on and on. And I think the thing I have learned, Aaron, in in being around college athletics for the last 15 plus years or so is that the most successful programs have that uh, item within their locker room or their clubhouse the players are the ones that really drive the boat and the coaches obviously are in charge and they set up the game plans and, and they do all the things that coaches do. And that's a huge part of it. they explain the, the importance of being here and being at a place like North Dakota state. But when you have a player driven program that holds each other accountable, I think you find opportunities for this level of success. And when you win at this high of a level, no matter what, you know, division you're in or where you're at, whether it's, you know, uh, basketball, softball, baseball, whatever, football, um, you're, you're going to have high levels of accountability from the head coach on down uh, with the fans, et cetera. And so there's an obvious understanding of what it takes. I think the thing I'm always impressed by, uh, speaking of signing day recently, is this coaching staff and the previous head coaches here, Chris Kleiman, now at Kansas State, Craig Bowl who's now at Wyoming, those guys understand the players they want, they they recruit them, they develop them, and they don't promise them anything. They promise them an opportunity to, to play at a high level, uh, to play for a, cha- a national championship, a title, get your degree, and, and get yourself set up for what the real world is all about. So it's a pretty special place and a big football game with James Madison Friday night here inside the Fargo Dome.
0: I will be getting to the Fargo Dome at some point. I know I told you that for like five yes. years now, but I will be getting. No, and it, it's so interesting because you do – those are the, the the trademarks and the tenets of, of any successful program. When you were saying that, I was thinking – I remember many years ago interviewing Ed Reed about his time at Miami, and he was like, yeah, my last year I was the one that handled the discipline. There was a problem in the locker room. People yep. had to go through me, uh, and it took so much off the coaching staff, and that was why they had some success and, frankly, why they haven't had success – uh, over the last 15 or 20 years since he left and kind of two three years after um real quick the playoff itself right like like so many people listening to this are college football diehards we're starting to wrap our our brains around what a 12 team playoff could eventually look like take us through um the day or two in the lead up to the bracket release what it's like to uh, just just take us into that playoff because I think every time that somebody says uh, expand the playoff they use the FCS as the blueprint of This can be done. It can be done on campuses, and it can be really, really, really awesome.
1: Yeah, no question. And I'm a fan of the college football playoff expanding. I've had a chance to interview Bill Hancock and talk to him in the past. And uh, just a great person, great man. And uh, we'll see what shakes out there, obviously. I hope they do. I think they need to. Uh, I think they need to get to 12. And I would love to see the group of five get a seat at the table just so – there's that opportunity there. If that doesn't happen, I think, you know, what's going on at the power five level. They're trying to do their own thing and maybe form their own division and form their own playoff as well. But that's a whole nother show and and podcast, but as far as the FCS goes, yeah, it's great. I mean, I would say this, it's not a perfect system by any means, what the NCAA has in place uh, for everything outside of the NCAA uh, men's tournament and the women's tournament to a certain degree there is a component of regionalization in all of their championships, and so that's frustrating at times because what you get is you're get you get the top eight seeds ranked one through eight, and then after that it's not ranked nine through twenty-four. So it's not necessarily a true bracket across the board, which is disappointing in a lot of respects. You get some regionalized matchups. Uh, you get some teams funneled into second-round games that are also regionalized, which Again, it's not what anybody wants, but it's what the committee has to do right now based upon what the NCAA has as far as legislation for these championships. So perfect world. You'd seed it out one through twenty four. To me, the NCAA has enough money to be able to you know, flip a couple of charter flights for some you know, some teams and, uh, and and be able to travel some guys. Um, and not regionalize its thing. So it's great. You play it out in the field. There's no guessing game at the end of the day. There's probably too many teams, Aaron, in it, to be honest. Uh, in the spring, it was at 16, and every game was was fantastic. I think that's probably where it should go down the road. Will it? I don't know. But, yeah, uh, the, the great part about it is you at least get to play and, and not guess at the end of the day who is or who might have been the best team in the country uh, based upon the setup in the postseason.
0: Couple things one year, all, you, you make every answer you give, you're making me think here. And it reminds, I complain about this with the NCAA tournament bracket every year is, oh my goodness, we can't have UCLA playing in, uh, in Dallas. Like it's like everybody leaves on the same day. Everybody comes back on the same day. If you win, just, just put together the best bracket possible. Right. Um, and I, and I get it. And, and it's interesting. You say 24 feels like too many. Cause I feel like as far as an FBS playoff, 12 feels like it's about right where you're rewarding those teams that have had a ton of success during the regular season. This year It would be obviously uh Bama, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Michigan, Cincinnati, whoever. But then you get in some other teams as well. Really quickly, tell us about the two games that are going to be happening. So Friday night, as you said, uh, the three seed James Madison, two seed North Dakota State. By the way, one thing for people listening, you say that North Dakota State's won eight of the last 10 national championships. It needs to be mentioned. Last year, the fall got canceled and the best player in the sport opted out. So you have, a, you have a top five pick at your quarterback position in Trey Lance. He opts out after that one game against Central Arkansas. So I just want the record to show for any North Dakota Bison fans that are North, North Dakota State Bison fans that are tuning in. I am aware that you would have won it last year. Well, you know, that, that'll be one of the great 30 for 30s in 20 years from now. What could have been? But anyway, uh-huh. tell us about the uh, the two games, obviously the big one, North Dakota State, James Madison, and then the other one, I guess there's been a little bit of an upset on the other side of the bracket with Montana State taking on South Dakota
1: State. Yeah, two great games, and you're going to see two great atmospheres, both on ESPN2, Friday night, 8.15 p.m. Central kick with North Dakota State and James Madison. Aaron, this has developed into a postseason rivalry of sorts, jmu is the only team in the FCS era to come in the Fargo Dome and beat North Dakota State in the playoffs back in 2016, ended their run of five consecutive national championships. And it's funny, you know, you talk about what makes NDSU special. Nobody for North Dakota State now played in that game, obviously, six years ago. But even the players now want to sort of right that wrong for the previous group of players here with the lone loss at home in the playoffs in the Fargo Dome. So – Two tremendous teams that have a lot of respect for one another. NDSU is a great running game and a, and a historically great defense led by Jackson Hankey and Braden Thomas in their front seven. James Madison's quarterback, Cole Johnson, has had a record-setting year in single-season passing yards, close to a record in single-season touchdowns, 39 TDs, two picks. They've got a great, uh, great defense as well. Should be a fantastic game. And then Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m. Central time, Bobcat Stadium, Bozeman, Montana. It's their first home semifinal round game in Bozeman for Montana State since their national championship season in 1984. So you think they're fired up? It's already sold out. It was sold out when the tickets came out after they beat Sam Houston late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. So South Dakota State has enough talent to win the entire thing. But this will be – their fourth game in four weeks in four different time zones for South Dakota state at Montana state and Montana state's got a young quarterback touchdown Tommy Malott from just down the road in Butte, Montana, a young player, a freshman who is a local kid that people are talking about that has really rallied that team after a bizarre transfer portal exit by their starting quarterback during the year, Matt McKay. So Fun storylines there. And South Dakota State, I think, has the best running back in the country and Pierre Strong, Jr., who's a tremendous talent. So a lot of fun coming this weekend.
0: Well, obviously, just listening to Jeff, you can hear his knowledge and passion for FCS football. And the show is, again, called FCS Fever. Um, I, I listen to it pretty regularly while I'm working out. Uh, you have the biggest guests in the sport, the biggest name coaches, players, play-by-play, bo- media, Tell everybody who, maybe, maybe I have FCS followers that are learning about you from me, or maybe people are learning about me from you, but for people who want to check out the podcast over this next week, and of course, into the National Championship game, which will be after New Year's, uh, what what can they expect from the show?
1: Yeah, we like to you know get you as much info as we possibly can. Uh, we recap the weekend, preview what's going on. We've had some great guests on the show. Speaking of Montana State, Brent Vegan, their head coach, has been on the podcast. Uh incarnate word head coach Eric Morris, who's now the offensive coordinator at Washington State under Jake Dickert, is uh, on, has been on the podcast as well. Uh Bob Chesney at Holy Cross, uh a and team. That's Husky. your that's your guy, Torres. I'm sorry I didn't get oh. the Yukon job. No, it's okay.
0: I, I he was my choice before Jim Mora ascended from the heavens and came down and took over the Yukon job. So I saw him in person, not in person, literally, but metaphorically, uh, just be the better team against Yukon. I said. That that guy's that guy's an FBS head coach, but anyway, continue.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just and so we try to try to bring as many great guests on. Matt Larson, NDSU director of of athletics on the playoff committee, has been on the podcast. Um, you know, Matt Entz, the head football coach at North Dakota State. We've got great uh, broadcasters, sports writers that cover uh, the FCS with the passion of Power Five level journalists, and so it's a lot of fun. It's been fun for me. I, I've continued to. Uh, get to know more about some of the different programs and and coaches and rivalries out there around the country, and so uh, we love doing it twice a week. And uh, looking forward to some great football, and obviously, who's going to make a trek down to Frisco, Texas, to play for the top prize, January eighth. Bring it full circle.
0: You had Jacksonville State's play-by-play voice, who of course beat Florida State earlier this year, and that that was when we should have known. That was probably when Dion made our made his move, and we didn't even have any idea. So.
1: Yeah, exactly. How about that? Rich Rodriguez, the new head coach at Jacksonville State as well. Big name there. So pretty cool.
0: Fantastic. Jeff Colhane, you can hear him on uh, the Insiders, which of course is on Bison 1660 in North Dakota. The FCS Fever podcast. I will link to it both on my Twitter page. And of course, uh, you know, in the show description here, Jeff, I'm bad here. What's your Twitter handle? If people want to follow you this weekend going into the playoffs.
1: Yeah, pretty simple at at jeff colhane is the That's twitter right. handle c-u-l-h-a-n-e at jeff colhane jeff's got many
0: calls this week it's his busiest week of the year second busiest week of the year as north dakota state's going to win obviously and move on but we appreciate you making some time man and we will do this again before the
1: national championship game okay yeah always good my friend thanks for having me on